Hi, you're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of Black and Latina women breaking barriers in STEM fields, all while paving the way for the next generation. In honor of Women's History Month, we're kicking off season five with amazing stories about what it means to be a woman in STEM and sharing the women that inspire us to keep going every day. Tune in weekly to hear from our amazing guests to learn more about STEM fields, how they've navigated these fields as women of color, and about their many contributions to the overall world of STEM. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Marisol Mendez, marketing engineer at NI. Okay, hi Marisol, so excited to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Amber, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I am really eager to jump into some really cool topics today, but before we do, for all of our listeners to get to know you a little bit more, what do you enjoy doing outside of work or for fun? Uh, For fun? Well, I have three kids, uh, all under four years old. So I actually love spending time with them and doing activities and they're so smart. Uh, like, you know, we, um, we cook together, we make uh, dinosaur eggs. I tried to get them interested in, um, just, you know, fun, interactive activities. Uh, we play soccer as well. So yeah, I, I love hanging out with my family. Awesome. That's amazing. You work for National Instruments and I as a marketing engineer. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Well, let me start by saying what NI does. Uh, National Instruments is a tank company, right? So pretty much uh, every piece of equipment, if you can turn it on, it has probably been either tested or developed using our software and hardware tools. So um, NI has a, a very wide variety of customers. Going from, you know, the health and the food industry all the way to um, companies like NASA and SpaceX. So it is a very wide variety of applications. And that's one of the things that I really like about about the company. Uh, Right now, as a marketing engineer, my job is to be the handshake uh, between uh, the people in R&D who are amazing at, you know, creating... um, products and creating solutions and and on the sales part. So uh, my job is to pretty much take what people from R&D are doing and take it to the customers in a way that they can understand it a little bit better and take what customers customers need and uh, give it back to R&D. So it is important to have both a very technical background to understand the R&D and the uh, necessities of the customers, uh, but also to have uh, you know, communication skills and to be able to understand the, the whole loop of the, um, of the process, of the communication process within the company. In a previous conversation, Marisol shared with me that she was one of the first women in Mexico to enter into the field of mechatronic engineering. She explains that Mexico was a little behind socially in the way that they viewed women in engineering and shares her experiences with bias as she navigated these spaces. So, um, yeah, I was... One of the two uh, women in my engineering class, I studied mechatronic engineering in a private college in Mexico. Um, in the beginning, it was, to be honest, a little bit hard, even at school. Um, I had incredible teachers, uh, but I had one that was a bit biased. Uh, just, you know, the first day of school, he said something like, okay, why are you sitting in the front? You should go to the back because anyway, you're still going to, you know, end up throwing your title and marrying someone. And I just couldn't believe that he, he said that. It was because he's a brilliant man. 
And, um, well, I proved him wrong. I did get married, but I did not throw my title away. And um, in the end, after getting to know him, and, you know, he was an older uh, person, so he was not used to having uh, girls in the class. Um, he ended up being one of the people who uh, graded my thesis. And I can tell you that, I, that he gave me 100%. So it was hard at the beginning to convince him that, you know, I was not there just um, taking up a seat, but uh, that I meant it. And in the end, he actually mentioned that, you know, he now loved working with women because he knew that um, students who were females had um, brought a different perspective to the class. So that was while studying. Um, I was one of the first in my class uh, back when I started in in my job as a as an application engineer for NI as well, I also encountered a little bit of um, bias. Uh, when going into a company, they would ask, hey, uh, I am looking for engineer Menendez. And here I was in the waiting room with like 10 other guys wearing, um, you know, industry, industrial shoes and uh, protection security equipment. And they would say, oh, no, I'm looking for engineer Menendez. He's here to teach us how to do tests. And I'm like, yep, that's me. And they're like, no, no, I'm talking about the engineer. I mean, you're probably with him. Where is he? And I'm like, nope, tell me. But, um, you know, in the end, I got to uh, even make some friendships um, within the industry. At the beginning, it was a little bit hard. I won't say it was not. Um, we're a little behind in, in Mexico compared to the U.S. as the amount of uh, girls who pursue engineering careers. Um, I can say that it's, it's been more frequent. Uh, no, and I'm really happy about that. But uh, we definitely do bring uh, a, a different perspective uh, to the engineering job. As Marisol stated, her engineering career started in Mexico. But what most people don't know is that Mexico plays a huge role in the automotive industry, from manufacturing to production and even design. Marisol shares more with us about Mexico's role in the automotive industry. And um, also, I want to note that um, Mexico has a really big um, automotive industry, for example, most of the cars that are um, manufactured in the States, most of the parts actually come from Mexico, or a lot of them are even manufactured down here. So um, being uh, an engineer here actually helped me, um, you know, to get in touch with that automotive industry. Um, my hometown has one of the, um, it's called Puebla. It has one of the largest uh, Volkswagen factories in the world, right? So I'm talking like a small city. Um, so I played a role in two big industries. One of them was definitely automotive. Uh, as mentioned, you know, some of the biggest companies had uh, huge factories here in Mexico. And what you can see is that more often than not, um, the design aspect is also going back uh, to Mexico. Before, uh, it used to be seen only as, uh, you know, production sites. Let's uh, take advantage of, uh, you know, the tax breaks and the, um, and the labor and all of that. But now, more and more engineers are coming from uh, Latin countries. Um, there's also an advantage, again, you know, dual uh, language. So you can uh, speak uh, to a wider variety of, of customers. and. Um, that was the, the first industry, I, the one that I actually deep, um, deep, deep, deep dove into uh, a little bit more. 
And, but also the, I worked in the food industry. Uh, here is a fun anecdote. Uh, as you know, tequila is from Mexico. And, um, one of my first, um, field jobs as an application engineer, uh, back in the day when I was at NI was to actually help a tequila company, um, rate their tequila. So they had the sensors that measured the amount of alcohol that tequila has in order for it to be a good tequila, it had to have 40% alcohol. If it's a bad tequila, what they do is they actually increase the alcohol percentage to about 80% and then they add water to break it down. So that's bad tequila. So they had the sensors uh, that they needed to connect with and, you know, real time, just be switching to send the good tequila and not to the tequila, just to make sure that the, the quality was right. So here I was, you know, I'm like five one, uh, so tiny uh, engineer uh, sitting in the middle of a tequila factory, uh, programming all of this equipment and making sure that, you know, tequila was good quality and there was some sampling that included. So it was, it was one of the funnest, um, activities that I did and it was, you know, kind of weird, uh, as well. That sounds like a, that sounds like two completely different industries, but it sounds really cool. Um, I know that you, you now live in Austin, Texas. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what were some of the differences that you've noticed between the industry here um, and the industry in Mexico? Uh, so here in the States, I feel that um, industry is more open uh, to, to females. Um, as I mentioned, you know, uh, it is more advanced here. It is more common to see women in leadership positions. I can tell you that the CMO of NI is a woman. Uh, she's actually from Peru. An amazing, amazing mentor. Um, also, our uh, marketing director, she's also a woman. Um, so that's what I've seen more. In Mexico, it is, you know, a little bit harder to to break the, the mold that society has made um, for females. That's one of the things. Um, but, uh, you know, I also have to say something good about, you know, Mexico and Mexican, a lot being Mexican. And, and it's something that has actually helped me uh, within the job. You can tell when an engineer is Mexican because we are a little bit more creative. And we are, since, you know, even at school, since we didn't have all of the tools uh, that American schools have. Um, for example, we participated in a robotic contest back in the day. And um, folks in the States would just, you know, order a cable uh, from Amazon. It would get to their home in two days and that would be it. And, and I remember that we actually had to make our own cable because, you know, we couldn't find it anywhere. So even that process of building your own cable just, you know, makes you a little bit uh, more open to, you know, there's a problem, we have to solve it. And that's it. That's the only thing you, you care about, right? Solving that issue. So if it has to... If you have to like punch uh, a cable to, to get a, the job done, um, you will. So, you know, that's one of the benefits that I found in Mexico. And that's also what I, I believe brings more, um, more perspective to my team that I'm really focused on, on problem solving. It was clear that Marisol has a lot of knowledge about her industry and its current trends. I asked her to share with us more about two of the hottest topics in the automotive industry right now, electric vehicles and autonomy. And if you haven't heard of it before, she also shares more about the industry's Vision Zero initiatives. Nowadays, autonomy, I think, is, is one of the biggest topics uh, going around. We all uh, grew up, you know, watching the Jetsons and seeing all of these futuristic uh, choices of transportation. 
And what we're seeing now is actually that becoming a reality. Um, for you to consider a vehicle uh, uh, autonomous, it actually has to go through different stages, right? Uh, right now, we're all the way up to level four in autonomy, and full autonomy goes all the way up to level five or even a level six. Uh, right now, you see cars that can be um, driven in U.S. highways, may I add, because if you bring them to Mexico, you're definitely not going to see the same um, uh, the same performance. But uh, right now, you can see vehicles um, being self-driven. They can change lines, but they always need a person behind the wheel. Um, what that encompasses for technology is just huge. Right now, uh, a vehicle is a computer on wheels. It has, you know, thousands and thousands of lines of code. Um, the devices that needed to be invented in order to create this level of autonomy, the one that we've got so far, I mean, you can find within a car cameras, not just the rear view uh, camera, but front cameras, rear view cameras. You can find radars, lidars. Uh, a lidar is sort of, um, if you think of a submarine, uh, right? When you um, send a signal, uh, expect for it, it to bounce and then uh, read its comeback to define what an object is. Um, so you can see radars, you can see lighters, uh, you can see GPS sensors to just, you know, know where you are. And um, on top of that, you know, there are additional um, screening elements within a vehicle to make it safe. Um, there is even a system that is now compulsory in Europe that is called eCall. Um, what that does is if you have an accident and your car is equipped with e-call, um, the sensors of the vehicle will inform the car that, you know, it's been in a car crash and the car will call an emergency service to let them know your location and what happened sort of, uh, you know, if, if it was a brute force, if it was, you know, at a high speed and it will report your location so that emergency services can come and potentially save your life. Um, so all of that is what is encompassed in autonomy uh, within a vehicle. Um, the second topic that's really big right now is um, EV. We actually, uh, there is a trend in the automotive industry called Vision Zero um, that encompasses both of them. And what Vision Zero talks about is having vehicles that have zero emissions, so that we're not contaminating the planet, uh, that have um, zero recalls. That means that you you don't have to bring your car back because, you know, there, there was a faulty transmission or something like that. And um, yeah, zero errors pretty much. Um, so in EV, what we're looking for, uh, there have actually been several studies of when we're actually going to have a full uh, electric vehicle um, just everywhere, uh, electric vehicles everywhere. And it has been, you know, there have been different uh, numbers. Uh, some people say that by 20, um, 2030, we're going to reach it. To be honest, I personally don't think that's going to happen. Because even if all of the vehicles that are being sold are electric, you're still going to have, you know, vehicles that are 10 or 15 year old that are still going to be uh, needing gas. Um, what is needed for an electric vehicle? Uh, number one, I, you know, when I started studying what, what a vehicle, um, an electric vehicle encompassed is that you have way less parts, less things can fail within an electric vehicle because you pretty much have a battery that connects directly to an electric motor. You don't need um, as many mechanic elements um, 
as, as in a combustion uh, motor. So number one is, you know, you have less parts. Um, and number two, uh, the biggest and probably most expensive part of the vehicle is going to be the battery. Uh, that battery needs to go through like thorough, thorough testing just to make sure that you can charge it fast enough so that having an electric vehicle is not a hassle and you can use uh, the chargers that are, you know, in a mall or at work or whatever. Um, and uh, you're definitely going to need a different type of transmission, a way to recover the um, electricity that you are creating within the wheels. You know, they're turning. So you're creating electricity that's going back into uh, into your batteries. Um, so yeah, you know, that also brings in a lot of tech. You need smart systems that can detect if the battery is charging properly. Um, the battery is just a bunch of cells. If you can, you know, think of um, uh, a big case with a bunch of little batteries in it. And you need to be able to see each one of them, if it's going to fail, if it's not, uh, how, how fast it can charge, uh, how much load it can get. And that's actually, you know, a bigger problem because, okay, you know, we have a car, we've solved it, but now how are we going to charge the car, right? So electricity costs, are they going to go up? Are you going to need a charger at home? And um, are you going to need, you know, a solar panel to be able to provide that energy to your car? And if you're using solar during the day, what's going to happen at night? Are you going to get energy from the grid? So, you know, it has just brought up so many challenges for so many industries. Um, so, yes, I am very excited about automotive um, and automotive trends. But if you keep digging a little bit, then you're going to realize that the field just expands. And then you're talking about, you know, civil engineers and the way that houses need to be built and developments need to be um, thought of so that you can, you know, bring that electricity demand. Uh, you can think of uh, mechanical engineers, what's going to happen? What are, you know, services going to look like for the cars in the future? Yes, they're going to have computers. They're going to tell you, uh, you know, if you need to bring the car in for a replacement, not so much a fix, but a replacement. And, um, well, yeah, I guess that's why, you know, those are the biggest two trends because they're big. They encompass so much um, technology and, and uh, just so much change that I consider myself lucky to, to be an engineer at this time just because there's so much to do and so much to think and so much to solve. Yeah, no, that is crazy. So it's like the industry going electric with cars then kind of branches out and touches every other part of life in a way is basically what I'm hearing. Am I correct in saying that? You are a hundred percent right. Yes. I mean, you know, even if you think about the design of the cars, if you have a fully autonomous car, do you actually need, you know, uh, um, rear view mirror or do you actually need the seats to be, uh, placed, uh, that way, or do you need, um, windows? Just, just stuff like that. Like everything's going to be completely different. Are you going to need um, stoplights, stop signs? Because, you know, cars are probably going to communicate to each other to say, you know, it's your turn, my turn, who goes first. So, yeah. Electric vehicles are something that we can conceptualize today, with the most popular example of electric cars being made by Tesla. However, autonomous cars are still somewhat of a mystery to the public. So I asked Marisol, 
Do autonomy and electric cars have to go hand in hand or can a mechanical car also be autonomous? Definitely, it can become autonomous. Um, so even though the two trends are linked uh, within the Vision Zero um, theme, um, you can have a gas, regular, you know, combustion motor car um, be autonomous. It's just that uh, the the way that you think of autonomy is going to be need it's going to need to be a little bit different for an electric car. Part of the autonomy the autonomy is also going to involve just communicating to the battery to know for how long you can still drive the vehicle. Right for a gas vehicle, you're probably going to have you know a different um, different problem, and you're probably going to have more parts again, different parts, different. Um, actuators that talk to those parts in order to make the uh, the vehicle autonomous. So I guess, you know, in a further future, both of them are definitely going to be um, placed within a vehicle. Uh, but right now you can see, you know, autonomous cars that are electric. You know, we all know Teslas, for example. Um, but uh, you will also be able to see that in the in gas um, powered vehicles. So, you know, with Mexico being such a hub for auto, the automotive industry, are we also seeing um, the manufacturing of electric vehicles? Is that also growing in Mexico at this time? Yeah, actually, uh, now that you mention it, um, for example, Ford is placing a very large um, electric vehicle uh, production line in Mexico State. There's also one in Chihuahua, if I remember correctly, uh, for Tesla. And a lot of, again, the parts, the pieces and parts, for example, uh, Continental down in um, Cuautla, they do transmissions, right? So that is also changing as well. Um, companies like uh, Forcia or Forecia, however you want to call it, um, they're doing interiors, they're doing infotainment systems. But that infotainment system, it, that computer is now going to be uh, placed in an electric vehicle. So all of those pieces and parts of electric vehicles are also being produced um, down here. And uh, that is, you know, a really big opportunity for bilingual people, uh, because if you're working in the States for Ford and, you know, you need to bring a production line down to Mexico, it is a super plus to have, um, to be able to communicate in the native language. Awesome. On the topic of Mexico, you said that when you compare Mexico to the United States, for example, there seems to be a more open-minded approach towards women uh, in tech. Have you, you know, over the years or what trends have you personally seen as far as girls entering STEM in Mexico? Like, are there more girls going into college for that now? Or is it pretty much the same as when you started? Uh, I think that depends a lot on the field of engineering. Uh, as mentioned, I did mechatronic. Um, for mechanical, electrical, and mechatronic that are still, you know, uh, at least in my in the school that I went to and that I still keep in touch with, um, five or less uh, per class. But you can see a really big increase in women in industrial engineering. So, you know, the people that go into production, uh, I can tell you, you know, a little personal anecdote there as well. Um, I have two sisters and both of them are engineers as well. Uh, one of them is an industrial engineer and the other one is a, is a chemical um, engineer. So in fields like industrial engineering, chemical engineering, um, there's also like um, food engineering or 
you know, nutritional uh, engineering. Um, that is where I see more, more women, but I am, I, I also taught, uh, in a college in Mexico, uh, probably about four years ago. And every time I saw more girls coming into my class, I just, you know, got super excited because they were very interested on, um, vehicles and on one of them actually just wanted to get to NASA. That was her goal. Um, right now she's finishing school. So, um, she asked me to write a, a letter of recommendation, uh, to, uh, for her master's in the States and I, you know, happily did. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on her and let you guys know if, if she makes it, uh, to the NASA program. Um, but it is a trend that is changing very slowly in Mexico. I think it's, uh, going a little bit slower than what I'm looking at in the States, at least for mechanical and electrical, industrial and chemical, they're, you know, doing much better. Actually, I can tell you that probably there are more women than men now, um, in those fields, just because, you know, uh, the te they tend to be more organized and, um, they tend to be more, um, how, how can I say this, uh, to get better grades, right? Just because, you know, used to hard work and stuff like that. I'm not going to generalize, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a trend that I've seen, you know, that in, in teams where there's a female, definitely, you know, you know, that the product is going to be delivered on time and with a better look and feel. Uh, so it's going to be overall a little bit better. Can you share which woman in your life inspires you the most and why? Um, so there's a few, I can tell you, uh, Susan B. Anthony, uh, she did a lot for women voting rights uh, in the States. I memorized some of her speeches even just because, you know, I think, wow, just that is what I call, you know, swimming against the current or, or going against everything you're, you're being told and taught. Uh, I come from a very, um, close-minded family, I guess you could say. So just, you know, listening to Susan B. Anthony having a similar background where, you know, she was expected to be a housewife and she was expected to, uh, take care of her children. She was expected to only do this. And then, you know, she completely broke the mold. And that is, you know, one of the people that I admire the most. And the other woman that I really admire, uh, she was actually, um, one of my, you know, former teachers, uh, her name is Maria Elena. She, uh, taught in a private school, uh, down in Mexico. She is, uh, SNI three, which is, you know, a uh, high level researcher in Mexico. And I did my thesis with her and for her. And something that got me really excited about working with her is that she was a badass. Like she was a very strong, very independent woman. She had a family. She was uh, the director of mechatronic engineering and each year, she did not only take, uh, you know, students to make theses and just grade it and that's it, let's get over it with, um, but she actually made them meaningful. Uh, she's a researcher on, um, nanomaterials. So, uh, I can tell you that, for example, my thesis was on building a machine to make, um, thin film depositions of, um, conductor, uh, materials. And then years later, next year, uh, the group that was, um, that she was in charge of, they actually bought all of the equipment and built it. So I designed it, then the next group built it. And funny thing, even my little sister got to use that equipment 
because she's a chemical engineer. And um, they actually developed a patent on some newly developed material from that machine. So she was, you know, the, the, the engineer of all of that. And that's something that I really admire of her, that she took this seriously, that it was not just, you know, a, a project that was up in the air and that was never going to be used. And that just made me so proud of her and, you know, seeing the things that you design coming to our reality so early on in the progress. That was amazing. So that's amazing. And on the topic of education and, um, you know, girls going into STEM, what advice would you give to any girl that's, you know, now interested in maybe going into automotive engineering? Uh, what I can tell you is go for it. I mean, if you love cars, if you are in love with technology, if you like, you know, breaking things apart, knowing how it works, you can do it. I mean, um, there are more women now in the field. And even if it, if they're not, you should not really care about that. Uh, just, you know, prove your value, show your value, work hard and you'll get there. And, you know, who knows, uh, you might, uh, be the, the person who actually implements that last level of autonomy that we're all dreaming of, uh, from when we saw the Jetsons and, um, you might be that key piece that brings a new perspective to an entire team of, of engineers. So I would say, don't be afraid, go for it. And you know, what's the worst thing that can happen that you're deep in and you say, well, you know, I am not a huge fan. It is very easy to teach an engineer to do something else just because of the way your brain is wired and they teach your brain to get wired. So even if you want to do something else, you can but don't be afraid to follow that first dream and that first calling because it is going to be awesome and you're going to learn more and then hopefully you're going to be a role model for your kids and uh, whatever other young people you might meet. Thank you, Marisol, so much for that advice. So inspirational. Thank you so much for being on our show today, um, telling us more about the automotive industry, some of the crazy and cool new trends like Vision Zero and electric vehicles and, and autonomy. Um, it's been really insightful, and I feel like we learned a lot here today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amber, for having me. This was amazing. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technically 200. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com. See you at our next episode.